Welcome to the How to Win with Patents and IP podcast. This is Jackie Hutter coming to you from the worldwide shedquarters of the Hutter Group in beautiful Decatur, Georgia. In this and other episodes, I will be sharing expert insights that can allow you to generate not just patents and other forms of IP, but patents and IP that can meaningfully move the needle for your business. My unique perspective in IP strategy is a product of my almost 20 years in the intellectual property business. As a patent prosecutor, IP litigator, licensing expert, and business counselor to companies of all sizes and at all stages of existence. I have represented mature fortune companies, early stage startups, and companies moving toward scale and exit. If it has anything to do with intellectual property, you name it, I've probably done it. I'm doing this podcast series to share with entrepreneurs, innovators, and business leaders my proven tools and techniques that I have used consistently with clients to help them not just obtain patents and IP, but patents and IP that creates meaningful financial outcomes for their companies. If you're looking for information about the specifics of how to get a patent through the patent office or a discussion of recent case law about patents, this is not the place for you. However, if you're looking for a business-focused approach to generating patents and IP, you will find this podcast series a change from how experts usually speak to you about these topics. Listeners who engage with the content of this podcast series and who can work effectively with competent outside patent teams will find that the patents and other forms of IP that they obtain for their businesses going forward will be more closely aligned with the business outcomes that they seek to generate, and they will also be better able to ensure that any patents and IP that they obtained are more likely to possess value that they can realize in their business. Before I get started on the substance of this podcast episode, in which we'll talk about how Procter & Gamble created a very awesome patent portfolio for its Swiffer WetJet mopping system, I first need to do a bit of housekeeping. The views expressed in this podcast are mine as a commentator on IP strategy and business value creation using patents and intellectual property. The topics I discuss in this podcast do not constitute legal advice in any way whatsoever. Moreover, while these methodologies have worked consistently with my own clients over the years, the mileage of someone else may vary, especially when someone hires an IP professional who has not been trained in a business-focused approach to IP strategy. Anyone seeking to develop patents and other forms of intellectual property that are aligned with their own business goals is strongly encouraged to vet and select an IP professional with experience and in developing client-centric patents and intellectual property, as well as to be prepared to closely manage them so that they can better ensure that the outputs of their legal efforts, in fact, aligns with the client's business goals. The information that I will provide in this podcast series will help you do this. Now let's get started with the topic of this episode. You will recall that in episode one of this podcast series, I introduced you to the possibility that likely fewer than 5% of patents obtained by some sophisticated corporations that engage in best practices in IP management were considered to have created strategic value for each company. 
This 5% number was determined from interviews with senior IP management at some of the largest patent filers in the world and was published in author and IP strategy consultant Suzanne Harrison's 2012 book, Edison in the Boardroom Revisited. That's undoubtedly a pretty dismal number. And you as a listener may be wondering why if only 5% of the patents obtained by these sophisticated companies, each of which likely employ veritable armies of patent professionals, can get patent protection rights so rarely, it must also follow that less resource-rich companies will then have an even lower probability of gaining strategically valuable patent protection. And you would be correct if that company was also using the patent development model that is used for most companies. However, as I will demonstrate in this episode, it's really not that hard to generate strategically valuable patent protection as long as you can identify and mirror successful patent strategies of other companies that have done the work to develop them for their own purposes. In this regard, one of the companies that I find consistently generates strong and effective patent strategies that enhance their market position vis-a-vis their competitors is Procter & Gamble. Most of you will be familiar with Procter & Gamble as a very mature consumer product company that has been ranked in the Fortune 50 for decades. I believe that a good reason for their success is how effectively they have not only met the needs of their customers, but also how they have protected their markets with patent strategy. In this regard, I like to point to P&G's patent strategy for its very successful Swiffer wet jet mopping system, because most people I speak to have either used this product or they know how it works. By using a familiar product like this to illustrate a process that is often made difficult to follow by patent experts, who may be inclined to use legalese and jargon, I hope to be able to illuminate for listeners how it's actually pretty straightforward to create strategically valuable patent rights. The first thing to clear up is what the term strategic patenting actually means. As we talked about in the first podcast episode of this series, a strategic patent is one that effectively is market-making, in that it creates changes or otherwise affects the dynamic of the relevant market by directly or indirectly influencing the behavior of competitors. In this regard, a strategic patent can be a patent that effectively prevents a competitor from not only making the same product, but also from providing a product that solves the same customer problem. When properly configured, a strategic patent, or more likely a strategic patent portfolio, can keep other companies from playing in the same market space. In other situations, a strategic patent portfolio can enhance or even define a licensing or acquisition scenario in which another market player desires to acquire those strategic patent rights to affect its own business strategy. At a high level, when a company holds strategic patents, Competitors must expend efforts to innovate around the incumbent patent order in order to serve the same customer, which is, at a minimum, more expensive. This means that the competitor must make a product that avoids functioning in the same manner that is expected by the customer. If done successfully, competitors won't even be able to match the functionality 
owned by the patentee because the functionality itself is broadly owned. Well-known, albeit older patents that broadly claimed product functionality that people may be familiar with are the Amazon one-click patent and the Apple slide-to-unlock patents, each of which affected competition in the respective markets for many years and thus created a whole lot of value for the respective owners. By way of explanation, for competitors to avoid infringement in the online marketplace protected by the one-click patent or the screen activation feature protected by the slide-to-unlock Apple patents, any substitute products would have to employ somewhat inelegant features so as to be able to provide the consumer with comparable functionality. Because elegant functionality was the value proposition being provided to the consumer in each case, and this became the functionality expected by the customer, the patents that covered these expected functionalities ended up preventing that functionality from being provided in another company's products. From this high-level discussion, it's hopefully apparent that a key metric defining whether a patent or patent portfolio falls into the category that I call strategic is whether the claims will cover not just the invention, but also an innovation, where innovation is the thing or functionality that itself provides value to the customer. In other words, an invention comprises a specific product, product feature, or set of product features that is created as the output of a product development process, where the input of that product development process was an identified customer need that was at the time unmet with any existing product offering. In contrast, an innovation encompasses all or significantly all of the functionality needed to satisfy the customer need. We could be talking about a new technology innovation or a new product innovation, each of which require different treatment in the patent context, but conceptually each of these are much broader than an invention. To this end, an invention is narrower than an innovation because customer needs can most likely be solved in a myriad of ways by any number of products having different features. An innovation exists when a customer need is satisfied, full stop. That innovation is often independent of the specific features of the product that is created to solve that functional need. Let's take a quick aside here and clarify that before anybody gets too hung up on making sure that they are obtaining a suitably strategic patent, a good thing to remember is that patents rarely matter, but when they do matter, they matter a lot. And even if it makes sense to obtain a patent, you may not need to obtain a patent that is, as I call it, strategic. At a minimum, it can take much more effort from a company's business team to successfully generate strategically broad patent coverage than it will take to just have your patent expert file a patent application on an invention. If the company's business team is needed to find and serve customers so that they can generate revenue, that effort might in fact generate more value for the company in the aggregate than pulling the business team away from the business to put them in the task of developing robust patent protection. Moreover, the skill and experience of the patent expert who is likely to be able to help you generate strategic portfolios will need to be different than that of someone that's just obtaining a standard patent that's not meant to be strategic. It follows that before someone undertakes the effort to generate strategic patent coverage, 
they must have first made the determination that they really need such protection in the context of their own business and that having such protection will be necessary to allow them to generate their desired business outcome. As I often say to potential clients, not getting a patent or a particular patent type is a patent strategy if you have made the decision for articulated business reasons. That being said, let's now go back to how one goes about generating strategic patent rights. I think the missing piece is that most patentees and their patent experts end up focusing on the features of an invention, of a product, whereas the real value of innovative new products lies in the benefits that are provided to the consumer by the functionality of these new products. It is this previously unavailable functionality that can be characterized as the quote-unquote innovation. And it is this functionality that needs to be protected if the customer, in fact, values that functionality. That is, if the customer uses that functionality to make their purchasing decisions. If the innovator is unsuccessful in protecting this broader value in a patent or patent portfolio, she will leave herself open to competition from others who can effectively leverage her hard work and investment as a roadmap to provide consumers with a product that solves the same problem that is desired by customers, but that also does not infringe the innovator's patent rights. Notably, this competitive product may be available at a lower cost, which can put the innovator in even worse position because now they will be participating in a price-eroded market. Let's go back to the example I mentioned of the Swiffer WebJet mopping system as it is a great illustration of patent protection that not just broadly protected a product, but also the innovation, because the overall protection was focused on the benefits and not just the features of the product. I expect that Procter & Gamble's strategy for the Swiffle Wet Jet product will illustrate the strategic patenting concept very clearly for listeners. These days, everybody should know about the Swiffer Wet Jet mopping system. It's been around for more than 20 years by this point, but let's take ourselves back to the time before this product actually existed. Old timers like myself will remember that prior to the existence of the Swiffer wet jet mopping system, there were basically only four types of mopping techniques that were used, each of which was ages old. You had a sponge mop that was comprised of a sponge on the end of a stick. There was a cotton string mop or a navy mop as my dad used to call it. You also saw people use a rag placed on the end of a stick that in my hometown of Miami is called a Cuban mop. And lastly, you had a person on her hands and knees who scrubbed the floor with a rag. Realistically, the last two mopping techniques were do-it-yourself ways that didn't lend themselves to the creation of products by companies such as Procter & Gamble. So let's focus on the first two, the sponge mop and the navy mop, each of which were categories of products that you could buy in stores at that time as well as today to help you keep your floors clean. Again, we have to take ourselves back to the state of the art as it existed before the Swiffer wet jet system was introduced. That is the time when the products you bought to allow you to mop your floors were the sponge mop and the cotton string mop. Well, one may have started out with a clean mop head and water once they started on a mopping task once you moved your mop across the floor and then rinsed the mop with water, both the mop and the water were now dirty. 
Users effectively found themselves cleaning with dirty water unless they went to fresh water to rinse the mop head or rag mop between each use. And even if they did so, it would be ineffective because it's virtually impossible to remove embedded dirt from inside a sponge or a rag mop. And even assuming it was possible to fully clean the sponge or rag mop in between uses, the water had become dirty by this point. Moreover, once you used a mop, whether it be a sponge mop or a string mop, a single time, it was dirty forever. So what happened is that when you were effectively washing the floor, you were effectively washing it with either a dirty cleaning implement or dirty water or both. These mop heads also lent themselves to bacterial growth between uses. So taking us back to the time before the Swiffer wet jet system was introduced, was a floor really ever clean? when you used either a sponge mop or a navy mop to clean it. And this sets the stage of the state of the marketplace at this time. If you're a mom cleaning your floor in 1996, and it was generally moms who were P&G's target customer, you find yourself concerned that your baby is crawling on a dirty floor no matter how hard you try to keep it clean with your sponge mop or your navy mop. Notably, P&G's market research team knew that a significant number of moms cared at a deeply emotional level about their babies crawling on a dirty floor. The unmet customer needed this time was therefore the realization that no, there was really no way for a mother to keep her floor clean for her baby. And it was this unmet need that the Swiffer wet jet sit mopping system was created to address. Unquestionably, the Swiffer product line was a new innovation. Gone were the dirty mop head and water that were now replaced with a more sanitary method to clean floors. Indeed, Procter & Gamble created a whole new product category, which is arguably another way with which to characterize what is a product innovation. This new functionality enabled by the Swiffer WetJet Mop System not only provided a mom the ability to clean her floor with a clean mop head during a mopping event, she could confirm that the mop head surface was in fact clean because the top of the cleaning pad was translucent so she could see all the dirt up inside the pad and not on the pad surface. This functional visual signal actually resulted in more revenue being driven to Procter & Gamble because the user would take off the dirty mop pad and replace it with a clean one when she saw it was too dirty. The innovation also included an appropriately formulated cleaning solution that further ensured cleaning confidence because new cleaning solution was placed on the floor with each pull of the lever, and this functionality also drove revenue to the company. These and other functionalities of the Swiffer WetJet mopping system were novel over prior mopping methods and devices, and each of these features, when applied collectively within the system, served to provide a, an assortment of functional benefits that addressed the target customer's unmet needs of being able to ensure that her baby was crawling on a floor that she knew was clean. To be clear, the Swiffer WetJet mopping system was not a new mop. It was actually a new mopping experience that was generated by creating a multifaceted system that incorporated different products and product features that when put together provided the experience. Moreover, the consumer had to purchase refills on a recurring basis in order to be able to, in order to be able to continue to have this improved mopping experience. 
Many people may not even be able to imagine a time when it wasn't possible to hygienically clean one's floors with a product like the Swiffer WetJet system. The product line was a big success for P&G, and consumers have been willing to pay a premium price for this product and system for many years. Consequently, the company has reached huge returns in the many years since its introduction. While competitors did try to introduce non-infringing products over the years, these alternative products trailed the WetJet mopping system sales, even though they were priced lower. And as a user of the WetJet system myself for many years, I can say that I tried these cheaper products and tried to like them, but they just did not work well. Certainly, much of P&G's success with the Swiffer system can be attributed to the company's branding and marketing expertise. However, I'm sure that it's the company's patent team that also deserves a good portion of the credit because without their successful strategic patenting of each of the benefits of the system to create a robust patent portfolios, competitors would have been highly motivated to provide substitute products that gave the same functionality but that did not infringe P&G's patents. To this end, P&G has filed dozens of patents for the Swiffer system over the years, many of which would serve as examples of highly competent strategic patenting. Let's dive down to see an example of why this was. One of the earliest P&G patents covering the Swiffer product, which is U.S. patent number 6003191, if you'd like to take a look yourself, was filed in 1996 and illustrates my point of successful strategic patenting very well. Note that I'll be talking about some visual aspects that may be hard to follow going forward, and I'll do my best to explain them functionally so listeners can follow along. In the 191 patent, P&G was successful in protecting the Swiffer Mops functionality by way of a stick that a removable cleaning pad was attached to. Of course, a stick with a removable cleaning pad was not patentable even in 1996, if only because it also covered a sponge mop and maybe even the Navy mop. But importantly, P&G's claim to the Swiffer mop system included not only the stick and the removable cleaning pad, but also the function provided by that specific combination during its use. I'm going to read the claim of the 191 patent in its entirety so that you can see how P&G's patent team accomplished this. The claim recites a cleaning implement comprising a handle and a removable cleaning pad comprising a scrubbing layer and an absorbent layer wherein the absorbent layer comprises a super absorbent material wherein the scrubbing layer and the absorbent layer are an indirect fluid communication and wherein the cleaning pad has a squeeze out value of not more than about 40% at 0.25 pounds per square inch. For those of you who are not patent attorneys, I get that this patent language might be kind of hard to follow. But what this claim effectively covers is a mop that has a removable cleaning pad on it that has an outer rough layer, that's a scrubbing layer, and the pad also has a really absorbent layer below it. If you think about it, this combination is effectively a sponge mop and, again, wouldn't have been patentable even in 1996. But P&G's patent folks did not stop there. The meat of the claim actually comes after this portion, where it recites the functionality that did not exist anywhere in the prior art at that time. To this end, the claim states, and I'll quote, wherein the cleaning pad has a squeeze-out value of not more than about 40% at 
0.25 pounds per square inch, close quote. So what does that wording mean by way of the MOPS function? As the function is aligned to the unmet need of the mom who doesn't want her baby crawling on a dirty floor. Well, this claim actually means that when the dirty water goes up into the pad, that is when the mom sucks it up from the floor, it's not going to come back out, even if she pushes hard on the mop. In other words, during the mopping event, dirty water that is absorbed into the pad will not come back out to make the floor dirty again. And as should be apparent by now, this is exactly the functionality that the mother wanted. And since PNG's patent protection was directly aligned with the functionality desired by the consumer, in order to meet that same need, any competitor would also have to provide that same function. It follows that this is unquestionably to me a strategically drafted patent claim because there's no way that competitors could provide the same function without also infringing this patent claim. But P&G didn't stop there. They also got protection to the see-through outer layer on the pad that allows you to see whether the pad was dirty or not, as well as how the cleaning pad attached to the mop. In another patent, P&G got protection to the speed and shape of how the cleaning solution was dispensed from the solution bottle. P&G also got coverage to the connection between the mop itself and the bottle of cleaning solution. I find it interesting that instead of claiming the formula for the cleaning solution itself, which likely had limited, if any, ability to be patented, and if so, would have been fairly narrow, they instead claimed the specific functional characteristics of how the mop interacted with the cleaning solution bottle. This meant that any bottle that also connected to the Swiffer mop would infringe the patent to the connection independently of the cleaning solution formula. There are several other patents that P&G obtained that are successful functional patenting of the benefits of the Swiffer wet jet system that together protect the overall functionality of the system. Together, all of these patents can be viewed as having identified those aspects of the Swiffer wet jet system that delighted the customer and then looking to make sure that what P&G protected via patents aligned with all of those things that the customer cared about and which defined her reason for purchasing the product in the first place. It is also worth noting that P&G continued to leverage its customer discovery to generate additional patent protection that enabled the company to effectively extend its patent protection. One of these follow-on patents may seem insignificant in hindsight. P&G ended up claiming a scrubby pad on the end of the mop not the mopping pad, but on the end of the mop, a couple of years after filing the first set of patents. While you might think that such a feature didn't really add a lot to the product and should not have been patentable, P&G likely found that once the Swiffer wet jet system was introduced to its customers, the customer found it deficient in that you couldn't scrub dried materials from the floor with it as it existed originally. This additional functionality was important to the overall satisfaction of their customer, and they determined this by actually interviewing their customers and finding out what the customer needed. And because they identified this need before anybody else did, because they were the only one making the product, they were able to broadly patent this feature in the context of the functionality provided, of course. By not just getting strategic patents that matched its original product introduction, but that also aligned with the information and insight identified while the product was in the market and successful, p 
P&G was able to extend its patent rights beyond the term of the original patents. This means that while P&G's original patent filings are expired today, they still retain significant patent protection to the Swiffer WetJet mopping system today. While competitors could, of course, sell a Swiffer WetJet mopping system that falls within the scope of the patents that expired, those first patents do not include all of the functionality that the customer expects today in the Swiffer WetJet mopping system, some of which is covered by patents that are still in force and would be infringed by a competitor. This has allowed P&G to maintain the pricing of its Swiffer WetJet mopping system because in order to get a fully functioning system, you have to still buy a product and the components from Procter & Gamble. Note here that we're talking about a pricing strategy as being part of a patenting strategy. And this is what we mean when we say that you should line your patent strategy or your IP strategy with your business strategy. Here with Procter & Gamble's business strategy being to be able to maintain premium pricing for as long as as was relevant for the Swiffer WetJet mopping system. This is just an introduction to one of the many different ways to align IP strategy with desired business outcomes that we'll be discussing in this podcast series. I should note that coming up with a successful follow-on patent strategy like P&G did for the Swiffer WetJet mopping system requires discipline. The innovators' business teams and patent teams have to maintain continuous coordination. As we see from this case study, the strategy can prove to be very effective when executed correctly. P&G's disciplined efforts in aligning its patenting with its desired business outcomes has certainly paid dividends up to this day. Even though many of the patents have expired on the original mopping system, the product still generates $500 million a year in revenue from P&G. I did a quick search, and it does not appear that the company is still filing new patents that cover the product today. However, many of the broad functional patents P&G obtained up until about 10 years ago still enable the com- company to keep competition largely at bay. When the life of the last relevant functional patent in the Swiffer WetJet mopping system portfolio comes to an end, competitors will be able to jump in and knock off the entirety of the functionality the customer expects from the product. However, I guess by that time, P&G would have moved on to provide its target customers with a new breakthrough product innovation that will, of course, also be covered by a slew of broad and functional patents. Again, I want to reiterate that not all product innovations merit the type of work and expense that P&G went through to create the patent portfolio that protected the Swiffer WetJet mopping system all these many years. Here, however, P&G created a whole new product category when the WetJet system was first introduced. The product category fulfilled a long unmet customer need, as we discussed. Prior to this introduction, nobody had a product with the performance that they could obtain with the Swiffer WetJet mopping system. But once the customer realized that this unmet need could be fulfilled, a large portion of the mopping public would no longer accept a mop that required them to wash the floor with a dirty water solution and with a dirty mop head. In order to get paid back for its hard work and investment in not just bringing a new product to market, but in creating an entire new product category that delighted the customer, P&G needed to create a strategic patent portfolio that made it cheaper to go through them than around them. If they had not, there's no question that the competitors would have scrambled in to provide a product with the same functionality, but that also did not infringe P&G's patent. And therein lies the rub for innovators. 
Innovative companies do the hard work of first identifying unmet customer need and then developing products and technology that will solve those unmet customer needs. Certainly, most innovative companies are not creating markets as large as the Swiffer wet jet mopping system did, but they're often creating new markets nonetheless. And if the market's big enough, that is, if there are enough customers, competitors will jump in to steal those same customers. Often the only way to prevent this competition is to have a strategically effective patent portfolio that can protect not just the product, but the customer. So when a company creates a product or a product line that makes an entirely new market, its business and patent teams must be prepared to create patent protection that is market making. Or put another way, if you're an innovator creating new product or technology innovators, and you're also not innovating the way you think about patent protection, you're not really innovating to the fullest extent. To truly be successful at innovation, companies need to be innovating in all domains, including how they think about patents and IP strategy. We've reached the end of this episode of How to Win with Patents and IP. I will be posting new episodes on a regular basis, so please subscribe to get the latest on my IP strategy insights. For entrepreneurs, innovators, and business leaders who want to not just get patents and IP, but patents and IP that meaningfully move the needle on the value of their company. If you're in more of a hurry to find out about my proven tools and techniques to generate business value from patents and IP, you can head over to my IP Asset Maximizer blog at thehuttergroup.com, where I've been writing about IP strategy and related topics since 2008. And remember, the definition of IP strategy is defining an endpoint that is a desired business outcome and working backwards with your patent and IP strategy to figure out how to get there. I look forward to helping you determine how your company will be able to win with patents and IP. We can do it. See you next time.